Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of We Create the Vibes podcast, where we go out and find some of the dopest DJs out there creating vibes everywhere they go. Today's special guest is a DJ, producer. I believe he's still a record label owner as well. Two record labels, actually. Two record labels. (laughs) I heard that too. He goes by the name of Chavez. Chavez, what's going on, my brother? Chilling, bro. You know, just every day, you know, trying trying to push it further and further. I hear that, man. It's a pleasure to have you on, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. Time out your schedule. It's been a minute, man. Ladies and gents, y'all probably don't know. I do know this brother over here many years ago, dating back to Capitol Records. Was it like 15? Was it 15, 14 years ago? Like At least, yeah. Probably 15. Yeah, probably 15 years ago. So that's crazy. Yeah, we're both uh, professional uh, <laughs> ice cup getters. <laughs> professional interns man <laughs> ice cup getters <laughs> all right man so talk to me man originally from what north jersey right uh yeah so uh born in jersey city raised in oh. Jersey city, and just jersey bred my whole life all right so break down your early beginnings man was it like jer- growing up in jersey also what was some of the musical influences you know what was playing in the crib <sighs> Oh man, I mean, I think definitely growing up in Jersey City, like when I look at it now, I never realized the type of environment I was until I got older. And so I had friends saying, he's like, remember we used to like have games over who could smash the most crack vials. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, when, when you're little, that doesn't register because it's just like when you go outside and, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful that. I guess the environments I were in, you know, helped like encourage my imagination. Um, you know, with that in mind, I mean, musically, man, my, so my dad um, used to, if anyone's familiar with the funny all-stars, not saying he was in it, but okay. he used to watch this sort of like salsa collective, actually like pioneers of the genre. He used to go clubbing and religiously follow these guys. Like he has, you know, home home movies of like block parties and like Washington Heights and Queens. Okay. Like it's 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 some it's he has like a museum. Like it's crazy. His record collection is insane. And um he loved funk. You know, my dad was into everyone from like James Brown to Prince. Um my mom was a little bit more into she liked freestyle. She liked some baladas. So I was hearing like if anyone, you know, is into Latin music, like people like Leo Dan, Rocio, Dur- um. Rocio Durcal. Um, and I mean, we grew up in the hip hop days, man. You know, 
I, I would say probably my first album that I didn't wasn't supposed to have was The Chronic. And mm-hmm. I remember mom telling me, she's like, you can't listen to this unless you listen to it with your sister. And, you know, I was like, I thought my sister was lame. So I never ended up really listening to it the way that I wanted to. I would like <laughs> wait till they were asleep, turn it down really low. And, um, but then, you know, things sort of evolved too. Like I got, I became a big Nirvana fan. I started yeah. getting like Soundgarden, you know, Stone wow. Temple Pilots, all these alternative groups, like, you know, the, the, I guess the, the emo stuff that some of the younger people were getting sucked up in. And then honestly, it came back to hip hop. Um, and it's funny too, because there's, there's something that always stands out to me is when I see like early hip hop footage, of, like the videos I saw. I remember being little, my sister walked in on me, like imitating, like I was like scratching records. I always wanted, yeah. I always thought that was so fascinating to me just because it was like, I understood that there was a synergy between the dance floor and what was going on back there. Like there was something special that was happening there. Um, I mean, fast forward, you know, I, you know, staying into hip hop, shit i used to go to salvation army a lot just buying whatever records i could find i remember going to salvation army in uh, jersey city once and i found this insane hip-hop collection probably about close to 200 records like mm, okay Harris, one nas uh, big daddy kane uh, biggie like it was a gold mine Ooh, and they were records. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, they started giving me records for free. I probably bought that collection for about like 70 bucks. It was yeah. some crazy thing because yeah. they, they said that they had, you know, somebody had bought it in and just, it never went anywhere. That's nuts. It's insane. <laughs> I would uh, keep those records. Even if I didn't have a record player, like I would, ne- like, what? Are you sick? <laughs> I mean, so I, I was lucky enough that I had a friend who was producing for this. He produced for this um newark based hip-hop group i don't know if you're familiar with a group called the artifacts and they have yeah. a song called the wrong side of the track yeah, yeah. but he produced for el de sensei okay and, uh and you know he worked with dj chaos and okay. we're sort of just like hanging out with him like learning what he used to do we used to just go into random stores and just like like chinese restaurants and be like do you guys have records and i would say maybe like i mean they most they could say is no right i'll right. say probably like three times out of maybe seven they'd have like a basement full of records they had no idea that were down there because it was just storage to them you know they they purchased this building to start a restaurant and then whatever was in there they just threw downstairs like I remember once we got like probably like this Latin collection just basically asking them and paying them like 50 bucks and it was probably like 50 60 records um (laughs) there was always the obsession with like trying to find records and then I think as I got older, the more I learned about producers, the more I learned about guys like Pete Rock, DJ Premier, you know, um, I kind of wanted to get into the production aspect, which is great because I already had records waiting for me. Right. You know, it was just a matter of like, okay, now how do they do this? Again, luckily I had somebody that showed me, um, I would say probably around the age of like 16 going to 17. I had some friends introduce me to like uh, computer software um, cool edit reason and things like that so we would take these like really crappy belt drive turntables hook okay. them up to rtv okay. from the tv use the outs and plug it into like a crappy sound card okay. and sample into these programs and you know like we didn't even think to like i mean now it's you know you have so much you know time as far as like sampling and things like that so we would just get like the little chunks of the records that we wanted and just okay. have like, unorganized 
mess of things. So it was like, I remember, you know, spending like maybe like one or two days just, you know, getting samples and then not knowing what they were. So it's like, I don't know if I got drums. I don't know if I got vocals. <laughs> I'm just going through it like piece by piece. Okay. Um, you know, and, and I would show these, you know, um, our sort of lack thereof beats to some of these like, you know, meeting more and more uh, people within that circle of like El Desense and things like that. And eventually I learned they they're using samplers. So, you know, I think when I got to like 17, 18, I was able to actually get like a really really tough job it was a labor job but they paid me so good you know like 17 year olds should not be making like you know like two grand a month no nah. <laughs> at all go <laughs> do with that money man so what you were making two grand a month but it was only for like a summertime you know still, was, man that's the i mean yeah it's summer but still like you got what 6k to, to work with some records well, on top of that i was still going gear. to school so i, I was okay. also i was helping uh, paying some of my own tuition okay. I was digging and then um I just put my I put money aside I remember going on Craigslist and I, I sort of got them uh, concurrently and, and like I was like let me buy turntables let me buy a mixer I knew I wanted techniques 1200s no matter what wow. yep. you know that's always been the standard standard yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the, the next thing I knew I wanted was a Vestax PNC so actually check this out I, I know a one I ended up buying one recently. Okay. Because I, I wanted to get back into scratching. Ooh, yeah, you taking it back, boy. <laughs> it back, That's so crazy. Cause yo, when when I like first got into DJ and like when I actually you know, I would see YouTube videos, like, yo, I gotta get that mixer. But I never ever got that mixer though. But that <laughs> yo, that's the that's the ideal scratch originated mixer right it there. Is. Very underrated. Yeah. Oh, that's that's fire. How much did you get that for? If you mind me, at, you don't mind me asking. Uh, recently, um, I probably got it for about like, I think like eighty to ninety bucks. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And and I, I got the I got the um the O six because the one I got when I was younger was the O five. Okay. Um, I don't know why I got the O five because they had like a microphone thing, but I've never done the microphone stuff. So I just figured get the O six because it's just the basics. You know, I just need um, one side two fader and that's it that's it um so it was like yeah i guess once i got that it was just a matter of just like learning it so i used to just spend summers literally like locking myself into a room making beats spending time beat juggling and things like that because i had learned about scratching and dmc and what all that stuff meant and i remember like seeing videos of people like rob swift hearing them on the radio too and just trying to figure out what the you know what they were doing (laughs) how does somebody how does somebody make these sounds with a piece of wax? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, I really think like probably the huge turning point in terms of like, I wouldn't say losing the love, but wanting to to transition to something new was um, my favorite producer, Jay Dilla had passed. Mm, okay. That to me was like a huge shock to my system because that was what I, like to me, that was a dream of like working for like, okay, the goal now is to just get in the studio with this guy or let him hear your music somehow. Just let him know what, what that music, you know, hearing Tribe Called Quest, hearing Far Side, hearing, you know, Busta Rhyme stuff. And I remember just being young and looking at the credits of just like, this guy is, he's, he's inhuman. So it's yeah. like the fact that this music can bring you closer to somebody like that was always, I think, an aspiration of mine. Um, 
so at that same time, I, I don't know, you know, whatever you believe in, or the person above, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, it works in mysterious ways. I had a friend that got signed with an artist who was a New York City legend uh, in house music. I know you're talking about. Okay. You know, <laughs> dope, okay. man, dope, man. I know you're yep. talking about him. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, he, um, he was working with Kenny, and then I think we were, go- we were going to some party. I forgot what party it was. But because it was somebody he had met in Kenny Dope's studio. Mm, okay. And it was these 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 two young kids at the time. If anyone has ever heard of the Martinez brothers, yep. this is like the Martinez brothers were like just starting out. And um, I had heard of them like just in the rumblings of just learning about this new world and things like that. And we, we went to go check them out. And then we ended up just linking up with them at the end of the show. And I remember um, talking to Christian, who's the younger brother. And I forgot what record I mentioned. And he, the first thing he was like, how do you know that? And I was like, oh, you know, I have that record and I know Dilla sampled it on this. And cause this, this kid was like probably like 15 at the time. And I'm, you know, getting closer to 20 years old. And he just, his encyclopedia of, of music was just out of this world. And for him to know this obscure reference of like this progressive rock record, just, we had a connection right away. Yeah. The friend he was with who ended up being my label partner now um, I found out he lived in my town. So at the end of the night, you know, they go to, you know, because they're, they're still young kids. So their parents are taking them home to go upstate. And then me and, you know, this new friend I made, you know, he lives in Weehawken. I live in Union City. And then the next day he's like, yo, you know, um, since we definitely have like similar records, like, would you mind just playing records? Because he didn't have a setup at the time. Mm. And I think I was just, I was like, yeah, sure. I was like, you don't want to come back from class come over to my place and we'll jam out. And honestly, that turned into, you know, like 13, you know, 12, 13 hour sessions easily. Mm. Just sharing music, sharing ideas, sharing mixes and things like that. Um, and I just like, it was a huge jump into electronic music and just sort of learning um, more and more about what that world looked like. Because he had been touring with Kenny uh, before he was friends with the Martinez brothers I think in the early 90s, like mid 90s, when like Kenny was at his apex. I mean, Kenny's still a force now, but at that time, it was like when Kenny was getting, you know, when, you know, guys were making like five figures for like a Janet Jackson remix, you know, for a remix that you don't hear on the radio. You radio, yeah. Love, yeah. You know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, we really hit it off. Um, and I think just, we, we both decided since we were both moving in the same direction just to continue to, you know, number one, the friendship was more than anything I could have asked for. You know, I, I think musically um, it's important to have not only people that you, do you connect and identify with, but people that you also share like similar values because um, especially with dance music, I feel like dance music can get very personal with the way you're presenting yourself. Um, because there's not an emphasis on sort of like I mean yeah you can be like a top like 40 EDM DJ sure there's people that are like that but as far as the underground thing like you're spending a lot of time trying to look for the music that you identify with that you think works on the dance floor so there's a lot of like being vulnerable in that because sometimes you hear a record and you know there could be a part in a part or two in there that you're not you don't know how it's going to go over. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. 
And then you have that moment where it's like, you're like, okay, what's going to happen? And it's like, let's say it, it bombs you. It ruins the whole night. Like it can really defeat you. Um, so with that in mind, it was like, you know, I felt like I had met a brother more than anything else. And, you know, we started to, I guess, more tackle the New York City underground. I think the first party we played indiv at individual times, uh, Tony Touch had a party on Sunday. Mm. In the, the old... Funk box in the, yeah. at Soundhouse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I never <laughs> seen the videos. I always wanted to go. I never went, but I'm like, yo. Yeah, it was it crazy. Was it was definitely a lot of fun. So my first funk box actually, um, I thought I was I you know, I forgot who who played after me, but there was this whole thing of like, you know, they put me on because they they thought it was gonna be a slow night. Mm, okay. Back to the scene, like, let's see how he does. And um, that night, it apparently rained really bad. So it was like, like a pipe had burst with water over the DJ booth right before anything started. I'm already freaking out. I'm like, this is not going to go over so well. Like, everything's going nuts. And then something, there was some game going on that apparently the game ended early. And people from the game are all coming into, mm. well, not, not to the party specifically, but everybody was making their way back to i believe the santos was in oh uh, santa oh okay yeah Damn, what where's so far where... removed from new york i only i remember like where santos exactly at yeah. i want to say santos i mean it was definitely downtown somewhere yeah. I, remember, I remember being close to canal street if i'm not mistaken yeah, yeah i want to say um, not bleaker though actually it might it might have been on bleaker I'm, I'm... I walked past Santos so many times. I actually been to Santos one time, and I think uh, I think the kid Daytona was over there. This is like probably upstairs or downstairs. I think I was downstairs. This is like 2008. I've never been upstairs though. Yeah, so Funkbox was downstairs, mm. and I remember like right before I got on, I saw like five people walk in, wow. and it was like ten people walked in, and then just people started like walking in after that, like. And I was like, oh crap, okay, I gotta start, I gotta get going. People coming in here, man. I'm sweating. You know, they probably, <laughs> you know, for me to see like, I think the room probably filled about like a solid two, 200, 300. Mm. But just to get like, to already have 15 people on the dance floor already dancing at the first record, it was like, okay. it was very, very, very daunting. But I remember, I, I think, ending, what happened? I know you probably felt like, yo, I got, I gotta maintain this, keep this energy going, and take it to another level. But yeah, damn, I yeah. can imagine how you was feeling. Damn. Yeah, and then it's just like, you know, I'm coming from the world of like, I've only been playing my records in my basement. Mm, okay. What, what am I going to do? Uh, <laughs> and then I remember like, I think I played a record off like a CDJ or something like that to end. And it's like the, the, the what is it called? The CDJ started skipping. Oh, and then luckily, really quickly, I just pulled out like a random record, played it over, and I just remember like everybody losing it, and that was like my last record. Yeah. And then people, you know, they were like, I, I definitely got the the affirmation of like, oh my god, you played so well. Um, that that was, I would say, my probably my first night really playing. Honestly, I don't even know what year that was. I want to say maybe like two thousand, maybe eleven or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely a long, long time ago. I got I to tell you this, though. Right. I, gotta, I don't think I ever told you this because I, I tell a lot of people, but I have to personally thank you. All right. So around the, the few years, like 
through Capitol. I remember coming to your crib. I had one of my frat brothers record a song. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> but yo, you you really changed my mind on like like how to look at DJing. Like in the aspect, you know, you probably don't see that now because obviously I'm in this forever. So, you know, there's certain uh, there's certain things I do that, you know, per se, I if I didn't have to, I wouldn't do per se. Like there's certain music I play that if I didn't have to on everything I love, I would never play. But you did really change my mind about what a DJ supposed to be. How to DJ a party? How to just even approach DJing? Like how to look at it? And even I love what you said about when you connect with other DJs or you connect with other people with music, making sure that they align with your values, even how you feel about music and how you feel about certain certain things. So I think like that that's very important because you can't really form a brotherhood with per se with another DJ or somebody in music if y'all don't really have the same like values or y'all don't really see eye to eye on like the very important things to you. So like, yeah, I, I mean, I never, t- I tell, I tell people all the time, like, yeah, I used to, I, I interned with this cool ass dude that went to Ramapo and like, yo, he changed. Like I wasn't really that much. I knew about house music. I'm from Jersey. I just wasn't really, I didn't know like the, I didn't really study house music. I didn't know the history of house music, but like, yo, you put me onto that. And I'm not that like, I didn't, I haven't dove that back, that back that deep into house music, but I have appreciation and love for it. I understand there is a big difference, a big difference over here. And even a big difference, you know, compared to Europe and some of the other continents as well. Like it's, it's not the same, like what you're hearing on the radio. Like, I'm not going to say it's not real house or whatever, you know, that's a different conversation, but yeah, there's, there's different aspects to this game. So I just definitely want to thank you because yeah, you really, like changed my mind about a lot of things. Like, you know, even, even to this day, I, I still hold that with me, but yeah, you really like, if I, I don't know, man, it's you and another guy. Like, I don't know if I didn't meet you two guys, I don't know what possibly I would be doing as far as like in the, I don't know. Like I probably would be DJing like terrible ass events. Like, you know what I mean? Like y'all really changed my mind. Like, you know, so I, I just want to thank you for that. Like, I don't think I ever told you that, but don't think I didn't. I learned a lot, like just watching you, like just literally watching you. I learned a lot, you know. Well, on you know, all I could say is, you know, that's an honor to hear because, you know, on at the end of the day, that's I think that that should be the reason for all DJs is to like you want to leave your mark, you want to be able to inspire, you know, the next group of guys to do it. Because I it was funny because somebody had asked me today about like playing vinyl and things like that. They're like, oh, it's so cool that you play vinyl. And I was like, yo, can you count to four? They were like, yeah. I was like, well, you can play vinyl. I was like, it's not so much about like knowing how to do it. It's about doing it in a way where you're able to, to either give, you know, give a message or tell a story or be able to like have somebody experience all these ranges of emotions and that that that's the art of DJing. And I think, it, you know, we should all take it upon ourselves to take that very seriously because, you know, um, we always want to leave it in a better place than where we started. Because, you know, some of us didn't start, you know, having this like, and I'm sorry, that's my dog in my background. Oh, it's all good, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, I mean, you know, some of us, again, like we had to work really hard to get the gear we had and, you know, just to be able to to get to the place. I mean, obviously I've seen your growth, man. Like I've seen you go from radio into like 
now you you know you have your thing going full time and you're going full steam ahead you're booked every weekend so you know appreciate that man you know definitely props to you for keeping the knowledge and moving it forward and making it make sense for you for your growth and your development um so yeah again you know it's an honor to to hear that because oh man i I appreciate you man because now like you really like yo you (laughs) like you really opened up my eyes like i was like blind as hell like seriously like even to this day of course i don't take every gig like i turn down a lot of stuff but like it had yo it has to like everything can't be a money grab like i don't like i don't do this for the money like that that's like straight up i don't do this for money because there's a lot of I mean, it's a, like just from DJing certain events, I know what I don't like. So, like, it's a lot of stuff I don't even care. Like, I'm not, I'm just not going to do that. Even if, even if the pay is well, I'm a lot older. I, I, I do respect my time to to 100%. But I feel like it does matter the type of events you do DJ too. Like, I feel like that's another thing that a lot of DJs get it messed up. Yeah, that's the big sense, man. Like, now catch me out here DJing one year old birthday parties. Like, that makes no sense for me. And you know that that that's your lane now. Like that's lame, though, man. That makes no sense. Like, like who are you? Who are you? Like, I mean, like who's who's really seeing you play? Like, is this again? Is it for the money or like who's really seeing you play at a one-year-old birthday party? For for sure, but I, I still don't take that uh, away from the person that wants to play those one-year-old yeah. parties because it's like just the same person that wants to be like a teacher or something. It's like they do it with an audience or somebody in mind. So. If you're putting yourself out of the equation and doing it because it makes you happy, then play that party. Um, and I think it has to make sense in this in the way of it makes that whatever you're playing or party that much greater. Absolutely. You yep. come into it and you're like, okay, I'm ready to go. I know exactly what to expect. Yep. I'm gonna take it to another level. I'm gonna give you yep. an experience y'all never met before, but most people don't do that though. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's <laughs> Well, it actually happened to me this weekend. Um, I, I had two gigs because um, I was here for a few days. I played this one party that I got booked for that I really like, um, who I'm going to you know, start doing, start coming maybe back and forth every three, four months now, which is you know, a huge blessing. Oh. And there was another friend that asked me to play this dive bar uh, called TBA. And um, I just love that place because I just feel like, for me, it's a place where I get to test where I'm at. It's just like it's like the dojo for you know my musical brain um and maybe you know I don't make a lot of money while I'm playing but it's not even about that it's like okay whoever's there is gonna go on this ride with me and I I may completely lose the crowd tonight but this is a chance I'm willing to take yeah you know I like that and I feel like for you to go on it like you got to be strong inside because you see some DJs that might lose a crowd and it's like, yo, they feel like that night's over. They can't yeah. recover. But for you, you're willing to test that boundary. That's dope. Cause a lot of people will just play it safe. Like, and the one thing I really like about house music too. I mean, it's so to me, like what your underground house music is different from you're, you're not, you don't know what you're going to expect. If you're, you're coming from the crowd, you don't know exactly the record you're going to expect. I feel like when you're going to whatever these parts, like, you know, they're going to play this. They're going to play. This. There's a good chance they're going to play this. No, you don't know what they're going to play when you're going to an underground scene. I feel like that is amazing. And I like, I remember the first, um, the party that uh, you took me to, I think it was on wall street. This is like mad long ago. 
And uh, I, I know you couldn't have the phone or whatever. And I think it was off of ResidentAdvisor.net. And they was said, it at the basement? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I know any. I know any songs that night, and that was probably like one of the best parties I've been to in my life. And I still talk about that party to this day. But yeah, that was. Oh, probably one of the best I've been. Parties. I've been waiting that. I don't know if they do any more events there, but I've been dying to go back. Like I don't think I they remember. do. I, I'll be checking the website too, yo. And I've been checking it for like years. Like yeah. years and years and years and yeah, I haven't seen anything like on there. But yeah, that that shit was lit. Like that, that was the vibe. Like the animation. I mean, I don't think anybody knew probably most of the songs that was going on there, and everybody was having the, the dopest time whatsoever. I mean, I mean, the, the the nerds knew some of it. Like I remember, oh, yeah. I, I think I think you met you probably met Lou there. Yeah, Velasco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Velasco. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I, yo, I, I remember, man. I, I I still remember that day to the fullest. Like that shit was, that shit was like I don't think, like I don't think people would understand. Like if you're used to partying a certain way, and like I don't know, maybe if you party at like certain rinky dinky ass spots, but like this is a different vibe. This is a different atmosphere. I, I don't think a lot of people would be like ready for something like that. Like that shit was dope. Yeah, I mean, it's a matter of being open-minded because I feel like the audience is very open-minded. Yeah, you know? that audience there is super open-minded. But, yeah. like, I'll DJ for people who are not open-minded. Like, they literally want the same cookie cutter. Or, like, if I DJ, I don't even care. I'm going to say on the podcast. I don't care. So when I DJ weddings for, like, say, like, white couples, yeah, typically I'm going to play the top. But basically, literally, what the top 100, whatever shit that came out, depending. Now, when I play for black couples, it got to be like the certain urban hits, the certain shit that you got, the certain Beyonce records you have to play. After a while, that, that's that's corny as shit. Like, are y'all not open to anything else? I, I have to play this Beyonce. I have to play these type of records. So I, I like that about, about House. Like, and not with all, I, I feel like, with certain genres because there's different genres within house i feel like you know some some genres within house or some djs they're very particular like oh i just play tech house or i play minimal techno or whatever but still i, I still feel like there's still more variety and it's still more of a chance of like yo i may have never heard this before yeah with, i mean other dj nah you're going to hear everything they play everything they play you have heard before you know yeah i, I would definitely the audience is very trusting and I feel like it goes into two things where it's they trust you with their music and it's also trusting you with your energy. Like mm. that you bring on stage is felt in the way you mix. Like, like you said earlier, where you have, where you, you know, somebody loses the room and you see that in somebody and those kind of parties, like if you, if you showing that it's, it, you can really just evacuate a room. <laughs> if you just keep that composure, I mean, however you decide to do it, right? Like, for me, I, I always look at it like if I'm, you know, playing ball or something. I'm having the time of my life. It's like if somebody just blocked me. I'm like, all right, cool. I know not. I know how to not shoot it next time. Right. But guarantee, I got the ball now, and I'm gonna go for this drive, and you know, and I'm gonna bust that ass. Absolutely. <laughs> Yo. So speaking of record labels, man, we both internet capital records. Now I gotta ask. You started. Yeah. So you're on your second record label, but I want yeah. to talk about the first record label, Nil. Uh -huh. Now, did your experience interning at Capital help you start the label? Like, what what did you learn at Capital that maybe had translated to you starting uh, your record label, your first record label, Nil? Um, the main thing is that you know, believe in the music, 
because while while you know we were kind of set on like bullshit tasks they did believe in what their they believed in their product completely they had a team behind their product and even though you know you know when you're doing independent and you're completely doing alone you don't have a marketing team you don't have a budget you're basically funding everything out of pocket yeah if you don't believe in that thing enough to want to spend that money because you don't know if you're going to make anything back to it i think that's a huge thing that you got to be willing to say bye-bye to um if you have no faith in it it's not going to go anywhere and i think that was probably the main thing that definitely helped me in launching labels like every release and you know at the time was something that i felt was missing and something i really believed in like a hundred percent i just felt like um so there was also an acronym and part of the acronym was next in line so that was what i what i felt was next for i guess the iteration of, of underground dance music like, yeah going back to what i was saying about it being next in line was um i just felt like that was going to be um the next i guess what i thought was going to be a hit record right in underground and that people were going to gravitate towards too you know we had about seven releases and we did small runs of vinyl um i would say at most i think we did 700 and for all releases we've been able to sell out out of all of them probably within you know a month or less um mm. so i i think we were doing something right um yeah that's that i guess that's what that taught me ah very 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 dope man man so what are some mistakes that you rent, you're running just you have two labels now so what are some mistakes that maybe you have made running a record label you know what are some mistakes that you see that are out there when it comes to running a record label uh definitely uh poor time management um poor and 100 percent poor communication um with that i mean is like you you know to do it from vinyl you have to make sure because of certain deadlines um, for example, it's like certain plants in Europe, they don't press between July to September because it's so hot mm, okay. that if it's just, you know, these, these record plants, they, I think they probably burn records at like probably over like 300 degrees. So you're talking about this industrial space that's probably getting just as hot. So you're getting these records off the press that are like malleable. So you're not getting straight records. They start to warp all sorts of, all sorts of things can go wrong. So you have probably about two months. And on top of that, um, you have to make sure you're fitting into their timeline because everybody's trying to, you know, have a hit record for the summertime because summertime is, you know, summer, spring and summertime is festival season. Um, and so you want to make sure you have your, your promos ready. You want to make sure. Um, and that just comes with just being on top of everybody that you're working with from the mastering engineer to your art person, to the person who's getting your labels to the person who's doing your um, your masters and your stampers, and then finally your vinyl. Um, so it's definitely just about, again, like time, you know, the time management of like, who do I need to contact at this time, making sure that all your affairs are in order. Um, because with me, as far as like, when it comes to running a label, I don't rush my artist. Mm. Some labels, they do rush their artists to fit into certain deadlines. I have a, I have a rolling, um, I make sure that I like roll my communication if my artist is not ready um because i'll never put out a record if my artist is not 100 percent on board with it and that's the other communication piece is like finding out especially if your artist is a touring dj or a touring producer 
you want to make sure that at least that they're, you know, devoting some time to work on, you know, basically, you know, your contract, like you've con you've, you paid them for a service. And at some point, you know, you are collecting on that service. Um, so with my artists, you know, I, I make sure that, you know, I, you know, I put whatever, you know, negotiation we make. Um, yeah, I'll be honest about my business dealings. I either, I have from, I pay most of the money to my artists from 75 to 100%, depending on, upon my cost. Um, and sometimes I'll, you know, we can talk about paying them upfront, whether it be a deposit or, you know, they make, you know, until I reach a certain amount of record sales, which is what distributors do. And again, I make sure that's communicated beforehand because some people, they don't, they don't know the business. And I know so many artists, especially in the underground that, you know, there'll be a record um, label owner that really wants their music and they don't communicate even about payment. Like I know people that haven't been paid for huge records. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. But, so, but, people, you know, I, are people making deals in, in like the house music industry without like contracts and things of that nature? They oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. Um, and, and I, I, for me, I try to get my paperwork in order because it's like, I know how to do right for myself. I've been doing it right by myself my whole life. Like, I wake up to myself, but I want to make sure I'm doing right for the people that I'm working with because, you know, truth be told, that comes back around. And it bites you in the ass real bad. Like, I can't afford to have that karma come back on me because I have more to lose than somebody that, you know, grew up with, like, a trust fund that has unlimited funds. Absolutely. Um, so to me, you know, I would definitely take the, you know, the whole, like, working class mentality of just, like, these guys need to pay rent. Like, they need, there, there are things that, that need to happen in order to make this work. So, you know, I, I basically talk to artists, like, I'm like, I could draw up a small contract for us. And because I do also have to register with the performing performing rights organization with Gemma. Um, so you do have to pay fees on that as well. Um, so I, because, you know, let's say they get, and we had this happen with One Record Worlds uh, licensed for a compilation. You know, we nice. wanted to make sure that they were registered so that way they could make royalties anytime that was played anywhere. Um, so I always make, I try to make sure that my artists, anybody I'm working with, like they, they have their paperwork in order. I have my paperwork in order. Um, just so again, like I can do right by everybody. Like I feel good going to sleep when I know that it's like, I would say not that people are taking care of me, but I'm taking care of the people that I know are doing within their best interest for me. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. when you, when you treat people good, they show up for you. And I definitely feel like that with like running a label. It's like, they'll give you their best work at the moment because you're being so like attentive. And it, to me, it's not even about the best work of like making making money or making noise. For me, it's like their best work of the genre. You yeah, know, like- They'll put their best foot forward because they know you are there for them. Which yep. is important, man. Even like, even like a nine to five environment, like that's- I feel like a lot of people do their best work, like for their employer or their boss, knowing that their boss or employer actually gives a damn about them, actually cares about them, treats them with respect. You know, I feel like those are the type of, like when you, you're in that type of environment, you're going to go through, you're going to go through a brick wall. You're going to go through glass for your boss because they, they care about you. But when they don't care about you, then I feel like your work is not going to be the best. One, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think the, the best thing about that is when it comes to, you know, being creative and, you know, producing music is like, 
when you're also in that environment, one of the biggest factors of, or one of the biggest inhibitors of creativity is eliminating that stress. When an artist can come and give you stress-free, like from the heart music, like you got something special. And even if it doesn't sell like a million copies, it could change people on the dance floor in a way that, you know, like that excites me. Like that gives me goosebumps thinking about, you know. Uh, very dope, man. So talk so you have another record label, two record labels. What's the name of the second label? The second one is called the Big Neck Bass. Big Neck Bass. All right. So, all right. Talk to me about the Big Neck Bass. Where do you get the name from first off? And tell me a little bit about the label. Are there different releases from Nil or very similar music? I mean, so it's still going to be underground um, dance music for sure. Oh. Um, and I would say, I mean, obviously, you know, the bass is going to be the driving element. Like, I still want that to have sort of like bass characteristics where, so when I play, I feel like I have a lot of groove in my bass lines. Like, that's what a lot of people say about me is like, I know how to control a floor weaving through different bass lines and things like that. So I definitely want like that low end element to be distinct in a majority of the records that, that are put out on the label to have that characteristic where it's like, to sort of treat the bass where it's like it's a it's a melody it, it's it's like a focal point of the music as opposed to just being an after you know an afterthought or a supporting element to music um and with that in mind like so the first release i'm really trusting with my artist um he's doing an acid house ep we haven't done an acid mm -hmm. house ep mm -hmm. on no but hey, if okay. you you know when when you when you hear the release you'll see what i'm talking about like these are difference not i want to say different like because it could be like a four bar baseline but just the way that it's done it just feels like something fresh um and it, it's from what from you know playing the records like it works on the floor really well and it usually ends up becoming a record you know i already have the promo material and i haven't even put we don't even have promos out just a few people that are playing it it's so far doing pretty well um nice. but the the name came actually as a joke I forgot what podcast a friend of mine were listening to, but I know there was a comedian, Bill Burr, and he was talking yeah, about. Funny as shit. <laughs> oh, Bill Burr's hilarious, man. He's funny as hell. <laughs> and he was I, talking about. He was talking about. I forgot, like something like really manly men with big necks, or like having big necks. Okay. And then he was saying how like he's not one of those men because he's like one of the little neck guys. <laughs> and then me and my friend, we were just like cracking up about this because we had both um, met in Denver. We were, we were having a show that weekend and we kept like talking about the big, like we were just being stupid and like seeing, looking at people's necks and be like, oh, that's a little neck guy. That's a big <laughs> neck guy. <laughs> that's funny. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. And then I, I just thought about, I was like, yo, how hilarious would it be to like have a track or like, or an EP called Big Neck Bass? And then we were both just like sort of cracking up hysterically about the idea. And, um, you know, a year passed and I, I would just constantly hear the name in the back of my head, like Big Neck Bass. And I was like, the fact that it's still such a prevalent thought in my mind signifies to me that there's something there. There's something that keeps calling me back to it. Um, so then I just decided, I was just like, you know, um, so Nil is a is a co-run project with Velasco and I. And um, with that label, so we're both like huge music purveyors in terms of like quality of music. 
and we both have to agree 100% on the release. Mm, like, we okay. will not put out a release. If somebody's 95%, that's not good enough. Mm, okay. It has to be, like, a firm 100 and, you know, he has he has some projects going on. He has a lot of just, like, opportunities that he's been really, you know, moving forward with. And we just haven't had time to, like, really sit with music and say, okay, this is something that we want to put forward. And I feel like now I'm ready to finally um, get into a place where I'm pushing my ideas forward and my output. Um, so Big Neck Bass is going to have two outlets. There's going to be Big Neck Bass Digital. Um, and then there's just the... It's going to be the vinyl and the vinyl is going to be, you know, strictly related to dance music. Mm. Um, whereas the digital aspect is going to be, um, so I, I got back into producing and things like that. So I'm making beats again, um, you know, working on like different I'll beat tapes. You that too. Yeah. <laughs> but All right. So I know you, st- well, I won't say you start off when I met you, I know you, you were, I would say like, no, of course you was using, using the house, but I know you're a little more into hip hop now. I'm just asking. Now, are we slightly transitioning back? Are you still like? Are you even? Because like, I'll be. Honest, I don't even listen to hip hop like like that anymore. But like, especially like the current stuff. I really. I'm not really paying attention. And if I do need it, I just go on the charts. And I'm not actively like listening to a album. Like I'm not actually doing that. Like I'm listening more like FKJ, more like cats who are more instrumentalists and djs as well like i'm listening to more even like even like soul artists like i'm not even list like i'm i gotta i gotta feel it like i can't listen to like damaging i can't listen to damaging lyrics that's one thing i told myself i'm not ever doing i can't listen to people talking about killing and shooting each other that's not part of my dna it's not part of my lifestyle but i want to know are you actually listening to any hip-hop or even old school or new school or any whatsoever well um i mean i I always listen to old school hip-hop always like especially you know my favorite producers like that'll always be something that that i do i definitely listen to some of the new stuff um and it's not so much about because yeah you're right you know there is like really negative damaging content that's out there you know you have artists that are glorifying like taking antidepressants like it's the thing to do and you know seeing it in my scene like drugs can be really harmful so you know i i I hope that they're within that scene there's more education on how damaging that could be because especially when you're you're messing with brain chemistry like you could be changing and ruining somebody's life forever yeah um but i will say this the production aspect i I, i'm in love with um i I, I, that lyric lyrics is terrible but yeah the beats though yeah the, the beats are amazing like i feel like there's more um, musical elements and especially when you're talking about the idea of big neck bass even in like trap music there's like melodies and bass lines yeah and i love i love that i think that's like something that's so you know so so fucking dope like i can't even say it more than that you know <laughs> it just it makes it, it just makes you feel a certain way when it's just hitting you and you know it just it brings you to a place so i'm definitely i would say i wouldn't say transitioning back because i never felt like i transitioned out Mm-hmm. Um, I just, um, cause I've always been creating and I, I, I think with the big neck, you know, digital side, it'll be definitely more of an emphasis on some of the, the non dance music related stuff. Like I, you know, I would love to, you know, reach out to different like jazz artists and things like that and just really expand what that can look like, but also keeping the element of the label in mind of like, 
you know, the, the bass being his own melodic thing at the forefront. Um, how that can look like, honestly, the the opportunities are endless. But definitely, I, I do see myself, you know, putting out a lot of these B-tapes. I'm probably like, you know, at least within the past couple of months, like 80, 90 beats in. Uh, Bring them out, man. Stop playing. You know, I, I, I got well, to hear them, man. Don't like, <laughs> oh, don't hold on to it. Like, I, I get it. A lot of people, I mean, I know so many DJs, producers that like, yo, they have shit from like 10 years, like 10 years worth of shit they haven't let out. And I'm like, yo, like, is this shit just for you to listen to? Like, yo, you let that shit out. Like, don't be scared. Like, let it out. You know? Yeah. Like, people I mean, it so long, you know? So, so that's been my big project. My big project was just because it's so much like content to send it to an outside mastering house would just cost me a fortune um so i actually saved up some money i bought some like mastering plugins so i've been going through each just you know i i take certain i have like different schedule throughout different week like i'll spend two days of the week just digging for dance music that's it that's all i'm doing for like you know eight nine hours and then i have like another day where i'm just digging for samples and then i have another day where i'm just working on edits and then i have one day where i'm just working on beats and then like the last day, I'm just like working on mixing down some of these tracks that I've been working on. So, you know, if, if I had if I had more volunteers or something like that, oh man, they, these things would be out a long time ago. But when you're a one-man army, it's a tough it's man. a huge undertaking. It's yeah. tough. I'm actually looking for editor uh today. I'm gonna give you a website too. It's dope. I don't want to talk about the website on here because people might get offended, but it's dope. Okay. Like it'll fit nice. you in your budget. Like literally, like you won't even know your money's missing to pay somebody nice. to do some stuff. Awesome. Cause yeah, it's just it's it's definitely a lot. I, I know the one thing I'm not negotiating though is just the digging for dance music. Cause that's just mm, yep. There's there's certain I, rabbit holes. There's certain rabbit holes you can't talk about to certain people. Nah, <laughs> nah. <absolutely. laughs> so my question to you, man, you're not that I haven't seen people do this, but you're the first guy I've seen like face to face DJ with a DJ partner. Like the first guy, like officially I've seen do that. Man, like I feel like you have to have a, a crazy amount of chemistry. Got to be on the same page. I mean, how is it DJing with, a, with, with another DJ? Like as a, having a DJ partner, being on the same set, one DJ's on the left deck, the other DJs on, you're on the right deck. Like, how is that experience? And you know, how is it? Well, when it's the right person, it's electric. So this weekend, um, I played with Lou. The last time I played with Lou, or Velasco, last time I played with Velasco was 2019 at Watergate in Berlin. Okay. And then before then I was just, you know, playing with Lou all the time. So we had built something that's been special for years. So honestly, I love playing with Lou because Lou's one of those guys that he brings the best out of me. And I try to, I damn sure try to bring the best out of him. Like there's just so much into, because um, I think what, what helps make it is again, the communication piece. Like I talk to, if I'm playing with somebody, I'm, I'm letting them know, it's like, okay, I'm going to set you up with this. This record is mm -hmm. going to sound like this. Like either, yeah. like you have an option, you can take it up or you can keep it going. But right now, like this is, this is what I'm on. Um, I, I've seen it fail and I've been in back to backs where it fails, where it's just like somebody's just playing with their ego. And I think where it makes it really special is when you drop that ego and you're open to that person's, cause basically it's just like, you're painting a piece together. Right. Right. You got, this, you know, I'm adding this piece then you add another or a puzzle like you, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. 
I, you know, I, I grew up work together too. It's lovely. Like, yeah, I could, you guys are very cohesive. Like you guys work well together. I've, I've seen it. So. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's like I said, it's just, it's something so special. And I think, you know, part of the background, I think that helps me as well is like, I grew up playing basketball, you know, I'm five, oh, yeah, six I remember. <laughs> on a good day. I got to be a point guard. You got to trust your players. You got to trust your players, you know? So it's like, when you, when you, when you grow up with that mentality and you grow, grow up, like, it's like, you know, when we're, when we're in the shit, we're in it together and we're getting, we're getting out of it. I think that again, you can drop that ego and you can just go in it. And I have another uh, good friend that I'm, we're working on right now playing South America, the end of April, uh, his name is Rama. And um, he's another guy that's like an electric back-to-back person, but because he understands, you know, he came he came to me early in his development so yeah. we've been able to cultivate that early of just like yeah. this is not for us this is for them now how do we t- how do we understand each other to deliver them this beautiful message y'all got so the i, I love mindset, it again <laughs> y'all got the yeah. right mindset for real like <laughs> that's what i love about like yo you're the way you the way you th- all right so how were you as a student at ramapo i feel like you're very like I feel like you're a quiet person, but you're a man of like thought, like you don't really say too much, but I I just feel like you're not like you're always thinking, but I just feel like you know how to assess certain situations, you know, when to input yourself, not to input, like, I don't know. You just like cool, calm, collective, but you're, you pay attention. Like, you know, what's up. Yeah. I mean, as a student, so I spent a lot of high school doing dumb shit, like without a doubt. So I, I got that out of my system early. Okay. <laughs> so, when, so when I went to college, like I wasn't getting caught up, like partying and drinking all the time. For me, it was focused. Like I remember Ramapo, um, I, I decided to, the first year I was going to go there, I gave up my dorm so I could get free housing next year. Cause I was like, oh, let me save some money. If I could get free housing, like, cause housing is expensive. Shit. Bro, people so, think about that income and coming. Oh my God. I thought about that when I went to grad school. I didn't even think about that <laughs> undergrad. I was like, I paid 30 racks. That shit. Yo, <laughs> yo. <laughs> yeah, because well, I think what also put me there was before I went to school in Bridgeport, that put me in a 30 grand hole. So mm-hmm. I was like, I don't need to get more than where I'm at right now. Like I'm already in the red. Um, so yeah, I remember just like countless times where i'd be like coming across campus like i see people going out and i'm walking from my car all the way in the commuter lot to go to you know the room i was crashing in with like a crate of records my mpc and like a portable turntable and it was just like a good friend of mine like that's just what we did all night it was just like we don't need to do anything else so i was definitely about just like evolving myself i was already i was i think i was already early in the game of like i done the party and i did this i did that i just i didn't need to do it again absolutely yeah you mature mindset man like yeah like when i first met you like yeah mature mindset because not a lot of people carried themselves the way you carried yourself at that early age like ah man different man (laughs) very (laughs) good way too. like you know like salute you like you're different in a a a great way like i mean i said it earlier like yo you really like as far as djing and how you look at music like man yeah you transformed you transformed my mind man i i didn't i didn't think like you're not just like i think some people think you're just like you're 
you're a DJ, you're just playing music. It is what it. No, it's, you're not just playing music, man. Like it's it's deeper than that. Like it's it way is. deeper than that. And I don't think people like realize that too. Like Sorry. talking about that, I was talking about this moment I had probably about a year ago. It was probably the most, actually I had two moments that were really special to me, but the one that I'm talking about most recently, I actually got emotional while playing. I never thought it would ever happen, but I remember it was, it was this party right before New Year's and it's probably about like 8.30 a.m. and the dance floor, like it was a small, it was a small spot, probably like a hundred, a hundred, 150 plus, you know, and then there's people outside, but everybody that was outside was inside. So it was like the room was just like to the brim. And I remember playing this one edit that my friend made that I still think is like one of the most beautiful records I've ever heard in my life. And I just remember when I played it, it was like the sun was coming into the room and I just looked at everybody and they had their heads in the air, smiles on their faces, their eyes were closed. And I just felt like all, I just felt it getting wet. And I was like, oh my God, I can't do this in front of people. <laughs> nah, that's a beautiful moment though. <laughs> that's fire though, man. And that, and that tells me like, yo, you really, yo, you're tapped in. Like you're really connected to music. Like this is not a, this is not a gimmick. This is not some TikTok shit. This is not like... None of that. It's not any of these house gimmicks where you have a costume on and none of that shit. No, this this some real shit. Like you really feel what you're playing. Well, you know, like you said, being tapped in. I feel like once you tapped into how music makes you feel, w once you can really single that one feeling that one track gives you, and then you start to take that to other other records, other records, it changes your life completely. And you know, I had again, like I'm so blessed that people teach me what that, you know, how to do that. Um, and then it's just a matter of just like, it's like learn, you learn a new language. That's true. You know, you, you, you learn how to, you learn how to project that language. Cause now you have the vocabulary. Okay. The song makes you feel sad. I want to bring the room down a little bit cause there's too much energy. So you play that sad song a little bit just to, you know, you, you know, introduce some different emotion and you're like, okay, let me ride this maybe two more records. And then we start bringing them to where, to where I start to feel happy again. It's sort of like that. <laughs> Yeah, that's dope. Yeah, it's, it's that musical journey, man. Yeah. Super fire, man. So of course, you know, I went through the IG. I see you traveling. I mean, you've been traveling though. Been been doing your traveling. <laughs> been doing your thing. I gotta ask, man, for traveling DJs, we need some tips, man. What are some things that a traveling DJ should take with them on their gigs? What are some things that you know you need so that your gig can go smoothly? So definitely if you're playing, I mean, if you're playing vinyl, you can't bring a backup, but let's say you like, you have a thumb drive or anything like that. Always bring an exact replica of your digital music. Always. That's like the first thing on, honestly, that's one of the first things that I do before I start packing. I make a backup of my current hard drive and I make sure that that one stays close to me just cause you don't know what's going to happen. Um, Definitely bring a quarter inch adapter. Smart. <laughs> Smart. Always bring a quarter inch adapter because you never know when you're going to need one. Um, actually, I, I just got introduced to this one recently. Bring but, your own pair of slides, man. Mm, okay. Because <laughs> when, when you get to the hotel or whatever Airbnb you're staying at, like, especially if you've been like connecting flights and you've been carrying records around, you just want to relax a little bit. As soon as you get there, take your shoes off, throw the slides oh. on. You're like, okay, now I can work. 
Um, I also have, so depending if you're, you know, if you play in a room that has a lot of like smoke, um, definitely like the European clubs, they smoke a lot, you know, and they smoke indoors. Um, I have a scent proof laundry bag. Um, that's very important to me because it's like, I don't want to put that in a bag and it is like seeps through the rest of my clothes and I'm smelling like a freaking ashtray the entire time I'm there. <laughs> it's just, it's, I've done it before and it's not my favorite. Yeah, cigarette, ugh, cigarette smells the worst. <laughs> I don't know how people smoke cigarettes. It's the worst. Yeah, ever. especially like some warehouses, they they just they let it happen. Like nobody stops them. So mm-hmm. like you're just playing in like a giant chimney of smoke. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, earplugs. Mm, that's a good one, right there. Def, def, definitely earplugs. And I would say if you can, um, you know, if you're giving a rider, ask for new socks. Hmm. That's a good one too. All right. A, a, a friend had told me that and it changed my life. Like they were like, he's like, that's a promoter for new socks. And I put in my rider, I was like, a fresh pair of socks. And I mean, obviously they're not gonna buy you bullshit socks. Like you're the performer. You yeah, know, so they're gonna buy you a nice, God. clean pair of socks. But right before right before you get on and you put on those new socks, ah, oh, no feeling like it. Feel like a brand new man? <laughs> completely. Completely. And no, you know, and then I, after that, the essentials you know, toothbrush, all your other stuff. But I would say those those are my main things. Is like you want comfort and you just want to just have comfort and security. Those are the two most important things that you got to rely on when you're um, traveling because when shit goes wrong and you're not home, it goes wrong badly. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And like, what can you do when it goes wrong? And you don't have yep. your shit on you, yeah? <laughs> you don't have what you yep. need, your essentials. Ugh. I've I've seen guys like play festivals with one thumb drive that they lost. Hmm. And it's like then they're having a they're having to go to whatever stores open to buy one, find you know, find people to send the music. I mean, luckily some of them are like big names where they can get like, you know, 20 gigs in like an hour, but not everybody's like that. Who wants to take that risk? Because uh, yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What's your mentality like going into any of your gigs you know how do you approach your gigs so actually i was reflecting on this um on saturday morning before i went on because i was i started to get nervous on friday Mm. and i realized that that's always i'll never stop getting nervous and i realized that i never i never want to stop getting nervous um i had this one of my friends who's like you know he's definitely on a much higher plane than I am in terms of like being a superstar DJ because I'm so far from that but he I remember him telling me he's like the moment you stop caring about what it is do something else Mm, that's a uh, you know he was like he was like because then that shows that number one you're not invested to how good your performance is going to be you're not invested to move the crowd forward you're not invested to move the party forward and you're just kind of not invested all around. He's like, for that, just find something that excites you again. And every time I get nervous, I remind myself, I'm like, it's because I care. Yep. No, and that's, and, that's good. Yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah. Um, I, and also, I also, I, I try to meditate. I try to meditate depending on what time I'm playing to. Like, let's say I have like the, you know, 6 a.m., 7 a.m. slot. I will sleep on the front end. And then show up 
you know, like two hours before my set. Cause I, I don't want to be, you know, partying up all night. And then some, some guys do that. And then, you know, that that's where people, they start getting into drugs to help them stay awake, but I'd rather be there fresh and just like front load and just come with energy. Um, just cause I, I just think I make better decisions when I'm rested. I like that, man. What's the biggest lesson you learned from DJing? Um, biggest lesson I learned? <sighs> believe in yourself. Mm. Believe in yourself. Believe in your believe in your abilities. Believe in believe in the power to change or to not change, but to influence people. Um, and that can be, you know, positive or negative, but be humble enough that you could see that you can take the accountability to make it positive. Um, because again, it's like, if not you, someone else is going to do it. So if you have that in your heart, let it be you. But again, you have to be able to believe in yourself to actually do that. Man, that's so true, man. So how can people find you, man? How can people get in contact with you? Um, so there's a carrier pigeon that leaves, uh, 42nd and seven, just put a note on it and just, it'll fly to me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, I, I, I have, I have my, my Instagram handles. I probably need to get a TikTok at some point. I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. My handle's always going to be C is for Chavez, like as in cookie monster, you know, C is for cookie, C is for Chavez. Um, obviously, you know, big neck base, um, you'll probably find, Right now, I'm looking at distribution with this one outlet called Small Black Dots. So if you're familiar with Small Black Dots in Berlin, um, Big Neck Base 001 probably should be, if all goes well, and we're we're, we're still on schedule right now. It will we're go still well. Yeah, it will. It will. We're still scheduled to release probably the end of July, early August. And then, yeah, you know, just... I guess, you know, I would say right now, just follow, follow the handles. Cause I'm definitely still a word of mouth name. Those, I, I, I feel like this weekend was a reflection of like those that know, know, and they've have bought so many more people to the mix now. Cause I remember playing rooms that are like, you know, not even five people sometimes, you know, five, 10 mm -hmm. people. And now it's like, I mean, I could for sure pack a room that's like 150 200 150 to 200 you know i've played as big as rooms that are like six seven hundred so it's like somewhere in that range it's like and this has all been just you know the graces of whoever's up there or my talent if you will um you know people talking so but i would say for the most part definitely check my handles um right now i'm, I'm mainly active on ig but you're gonna put me on to this discovery thing and we're, we're, we're going to sort this out, right? Yes, sir. Man, Chavez, my brother, is always, it's always a blessing to chop it up. Ladies and gentlemen, that was another episode of We Create the Vibes podcast. This week's special guest, no other than Jersey's own. He's in Utah now, ladies and gents. Chavez, two-time record label owner. My brother, my brother thank you. Yeah, I appreciate thank you. you, man. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones 
who get it done.